The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. The future's in the green, but bonds still facing some downward pressures. Uh, Futures, though, finding some fresh momentum, as we mentioned, to close out a September that no one wants to remember. And history not repeating itself. Morgan Stanley CEO telling our Jim Cramer, the market's tough year is not like past sell-offs, and he is not seeing panic. His comments ahead. And shares of Nike getting crushed following quarterly results as the apparel giant reveals a massive oversupply problem. We're going to dig into those numbers coming up. And hitting the pause button on hiring. Meta holding off on hiring new workers as the tech giant looks to cut costs amid growing pressures and The race is on for Congress to finish up a deal to fund the government with just hours to go until a shutdown takes effect. It is Friday, September the 30th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And good Friday morning to you. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. Let's kick off the hour with a check on the markets and your money. Stock futures right now, as I mentioned, in the green across the board. That looks like it could open up about 200 points higher. The S&P and the Nasdaq both higher as well. Stocks are coming off a broad-based sell-off on Thursday with the S&P hitting a new low. All three major indices falling between 1.5% and 3%. Apple leading those declines, shedding nearly 5% of reports of declining demand for its new products, specifically the iPhone 14 as well as that downgrade by Bank of America. Apple dragging tech stocks down along with it. Take a look. When you look at mega cap tech stocks right here, you're seeing Meta, as we mentioned before, with hiring cuts uh, down a percent and a half. Apple down four and a half percent. Microsoft actually in the green, but Google down fractionally. Amazon also up. Also, checking the bond market, yields right now, they're actually falling a bit. The weaker dollar is actually helping that out a little bit. Uh, the 10-year note at 3.71. Still, we're seeing that inversion of the yield curve with the two-year note over 4% when it comes to yield. And in the oil market, we're seeing oil prices getting a little bit of boost as we're hearing more and more reports of a possible production cut by OPEC+. Plus. We're seeing right here WTI up a percent and a half almost. Brent crude also up a percent right now. Natural gas also getting a boost as well. And now taking a look at your morning's big money mover. Again, we're talking about Nike. Shares getting hammered and extending trading on the back of earnings uh, right now. Earnings and revenue uh, actually right now down 9%. We're seeing even more of a sell-off after that. Um, Nike warning of over-inventory, warning of a 44% surge in those inventories due to their supply chain issues. Now it's saying it's taking aggressive steps to lower supplies. Much more on that coming up later in the hour. We're going to have to dig into that a lot. All right, we want to go worldwide right now. Our Jumana Bersetti is live in our London newsroom with a look at the trading action overseas. Good morning, Jumana. Morning, Frank. Well, today's the last trading day of the month, also for the quarter. And for the quarter as a whole, it has not been pretty for global stock markets, including Asian stock markets, with the MSCI ex-Japan down about 12% for the quarter as a whole. Today, some stabilization is coming through. There is one spot of green, the Hang Seng Index. But overall, the theme is one of negativity. The Shanghai Composite in China down half a percentage point, though we did have better factory orders come in overnight. Hang Seng up about a third of a percentage point. But still, it's worst quarter since 2015. 
Nikkei in Japan also coming under some accelerated selling as well, down 1.8 percentage point. But the picture in Europe is actually a lot more positive today. Surprising, uh, you would say, given all of the data that we've had to digest over the course of this week. But the picture is positive for this last trading day of the month. For the quarter as a whole, though, the stock 600 is down about six percentage points. And many of these indices are down anything from three to five percentage points. So, yes, we are more positive today, but the picture is still one of heavy selling. FTSE 100 in the UK, up seven-tenths of a percentage point. Clearly, uh, a lot of focus there. And one thing I would just say for anyone who's been watching the UK market, there is the Conservative Party conference happening next week. Perhaps we'll get a bit more clues on this government's fiscal plans. Frank. All right, Jumana, thank you very much. A lot of green across the board there overseas. All right, time now to get some of your morning's top stories. Our Bertha Coombs is here with those. Good morning, Bertha. Hey, good morning, Frank. The Biden administration looking to take new steps to blunt China's economic influence in the Asia-Pacific region. The White House striking a partnership with more than a dozen nations covering matters from security to climate change. The administration announcing more than $800 million in financial support as a part of the plan. The move comes after China in June proposed a sweeping trade and security deal with 10 countries in the region. That pact later shelved after after many of the countries declined to sign on. Lawmakers in the House signing off on an antitrust bill that looks to curb big tech. The measure sharply raises fees for antitrust reviews of big mergers and gives states attorneys general more power in antitrust fights. The bill is one of several under consideration that would strengthen antitrust enforcers' efforts to rein in big tech. The measure must now clear the Senate. Sticking with big tech, Facebook's parent company is apparently suspending all hiring now. According to reports, Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg has told employees it is implementing the freeze and that the company will be taking more steps to reduce costs. That could reportedly include more restructuring and downsizing. Previous reports had suggested Meta was planning to cut expenses by at least 10 percent in the coming months, including reducing staff. You know, I love how we say reducing staff, downsizing. That means people will lose their jobs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if you're one of the people impacted, uh, those euphemisms don't quite make you feel any better. All right, Bertha, thank you very much. All right, stocks are set to limp to the finish line after what's been another tough week for investors with this year's sell-off intensifying even more. Now, despite the sea of red, Morgan Stanley's CEO says he isn't worried just yet. Speaking exclusively with Jim Cramer on Mad Money last night, Gorman says he's not surprised given the froth in the markets. The markets are washed with money. What did we expect? So you've had the bubbles that have been out there, the SPACs, uh, the cryptos, and so on. They're getting washed out. So it's not totally surprising where we are. That's where I start from. I'm not seeing panic in that. This is not 87. It's not even 91. It's not the dot-com crash, and it's certainly not the financial crisis. That doesn't mean it can't become one of those, but it's not there yet, and behavior supports that. All right, for much more, let's bring in Phil Palumbo, founder, CEO, and chief investment officer at Palumbo Wealth Management. Great to have you here this morning. Thank you, Frank. So let's just start off with James Gorman's comments. Obviously, he's a voice that the market pays attention to. He says he's not seeing any panic. Do you agree? First, I don't believe the estimate of the E, the price to earnings ratio. When you think about where what estimates are for 2023, they're only off its peak about 3 to 5%. And during any type of recessionary period, you normally see on average correction of peak to trough in earnings about 30%. In 2008, 2009, we saw 90%. 
And in 1980, we saw a negative 4.7%. So there is this wide range, right, Frank? However, when you think about what the Fed is embarking on, you think about inflation, wages increasing, the pressures from inflation on companies, and this consumer demand slowing, you're going to see a profits recession, which means that if you take estimates down by 20%, and this is important, the forward multiple of the S&P today is 19 times. So that means the market has to get cheaper. That's why a lot of analysts out there are saying 3,000, 3,400 on the S&P. That's probably an appropriate level. So I'm not sure I really agree what Gorman is saying. Wow. You've heard analysts say 3,000. Lowest I've heard is about 3,500, but that's certainly a very bearish call for 3,000. So one thing I want to uh, touch on his comments a bit more. He said it's not 1981. It's not the dot-com bubble. But you say what we're seeing right now is very similar to March of 2020, obviously the start of the pandemic. So if we're seeing a very similar situation in March of 2020, should people still diversify their portfolio? Should, is 60-40 the way to go? How are you recommending that your clients set up their investments? This is one of the most challenging environments that anybody's been in, right? Because balance and correlations of asset classes pretty much all came up together. So what I've been very vocal on on the show numerous times is that we were in a bubble. It collapsed, whether it's technology, whether it's crypto. So raising up cash was important coming into 2022. So hopefully investors did that. So for my clients specifically, we have 15 to 20 percent cash that with this downturn, we're going to be deploying capital. This is where you make the most money when it comes to investing. We're in a bear market you got companies off its highs, 30%, 50% or greater. It's going to get worse, but you have to step in and dollar cost average into this storm. All right. So uh, you, your no actually hits on some of the themes that we're looking at today. You say right now we're basically in the eye of a storm, uh, kind of playing off what we're seeing with Ian and the tragedy there. Obviously, the market's not as tragic, but still a lot of people losing a lot of their wealth right now. So we're in the eye of the storm. We're obviously seeing the stronger dollar as well. How does that impact your philosophy and your thesis going forward in the near term? I know you're a long term investor, but at least in the near term. Yeah, so what you have to understand is the first 20% correction or more that we just saw, that took a little bit of time, obviously. Well, here we are nine months into the year. The next 20% is going to happen pretty quick, over a two- or three-month period. And that's when you really need to step up. You can't wait and wait things out over the next year or two to get back in until like, the light at the end of the tunnel is clear. It's this next drop is when you really need to step in. So over the next two- to three-month period, it's going to be time to deploy capital. That Any study that you look at, when you see corrections like we are seeing, Six months, one, minute, one, one year, two years, three years later, you'll be extremely happy that you stepped in. What you have to be doing as an investor every single day, Frank, is looking for opportunities of great businesses that are stable, that have good earnings, great free cash flow. And, and the market's throwing a perfect pitch at us, and we're going to get even a better pitch as markets get cheaper. So you have to step into that as an investor. This is where the most money is made. All right, before we let you go, obviously, PCE is coming up later. That's really been a market mover. When we see inflation take a step down, the market seem to pop up. If it's higher than expected, we see a sell-off. What are you expecting later today, and how do you see it impacting the markets? I've been extremely vocal about inflation the whole entire time, saying that it's not transitory. It was going to be out of control, as we're seeing right now. I think now inflation is going to be over. I think over the next 12 months, we are going to see inflation come down. You're going to see peak inflation, in my view, is already in. Look at the commodity prices. Look what the stock market's doing. Right. We saw a complete wealth effect evaporate, you know, greater than 20, 30 percent. When you look at bonds, technology and regular stocks. So so the inflation story is going to start to dissipate just like COVID did over the next 12 months. That's my expectations of what we're going to see. All right. Phil Palumbo, we appreciate it. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Frank. All right, when we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, Europe's leaders coming together for an emergency meeting on the energy crisis gripping that region. We're live in Brussels with what steps they may take to ease rising costs as they're hitting the people there.
Plus, British Prime Minister Liz Truss holding emergency talks amid continued worries around financial markets. We talked to one former Bank of England member about the growing concerns about policy in the UK and the latest on Hurricane Ian as the devastating storm moves up the East Coast and residents in Florida, they pick up the pieces in its wake. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. To the latest in Europe's ongoing energy crisis, leaders in that region gathering in Brussels today for an emergency meeting on measures to help address the continued surge in the energy prices there. The meeting coming on the heels of those underwater leaks in the Russian-owned Nord Stream pipeline in the Baltic Sea amid a growing chorus of those suggesting sabotage as the cause of those leaks. Our Juliana Tattlebaum is live in Brussels with much more in today's meeting. Juliana, always great to see you. Have leaders come up with any concrete ideas on how to address rising energy costs? Frank, good morning. Great to join you from Brussels. This is actually the second emergency meeting that we've had from the energy ministers this month alone. It's crunch time for Europe as we head toward those cold winter months. In terms of what could be agreed today, there is the expectation that we could see agreement around um, a plan to cut energy usage, cut down on electricity during peak hours, and also agreement around the imposition of windfall tax to uh, move surplus profits from some of these fossil fuel producers to support households and businesses. But there is one gaping hole in today's agenda, and that is the EU-wide gas price cap, a highly divisive uh, measure that has been up for debate for the last several weeks in Europe. Take a listen to what the chair of today's meeting, the Czech industry and trade minister, had to say on this topic. The gas cap is not on the table today, so uh, everything is possible, but uh, I expect that it will be the next point on the agenda. Now, this gas cap is highly controversial as a potential measure. Proponents of a gas cap say that it would bring down the price of gas for the block and that this would ultimately be good because it would filter through and lower pressure on households and businesses across Europe. And a number of countries, 15 exactly, have signed a letter saying we should go forward with this. But opponents, they think that a gas price cap could actually divert gas supplies away from Europe to countries and regions willing to pay more for gas. So, Juliana, you know, in the intro, we mentioned that there are some thoughts that the leaks in the Nord Stream might be due to sabotage. What's the latest on that? 
So we are expecting to get an update from Denmark at today's meeting. Denmark, along with Sweden and Germany, has been investigating the leaks. And what we know so far is that the Europeans suspect sabotage was behind the gas leaks, but they have stopped short of explicitly calling out Russia as the likely uh, uh, source behind the gas leaks. So we're going to be listing out for any update there. That's another key feature of today's emergency meeting. Our, our Juliana Tattlebaum live in Brussels. Thanks for that report. Still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange, more of your morning's top stories, including a new twist in the Elon Musk Twitter saga. The role that Jack Dorsey, the, uh, Dorsey apparently saw the Tesla CEO playing within the social media company. Today's big number, $40 billion. That's how much Hurricane Ian could cost the insurance industry, according to insurance data firm Artemis. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Hurricane Ian churning up the East Coast as residents in Georgia and the Carolinas brace for potentially life-threatening conditions. This is residents in Florida pick up the pieces in the wake of the storm, leaving a path of devastation. NBC News' Chris Pallone is live in Naples, Florida, with more on the aftermath of the storm. Good morning, Chris. Here in Naples, one of the hardest hit areas of Florida, NBC News has confirmed at least a dozen people have died as a result of Ian. There are more than two million customers still without power. That's a little better than yesterday, but not by much. And people here are still awed by the destruction. With Ian finally out of Florida, the intensely destructive storm is now taking aim at the Carolinas. Friday is not going to be a pretty day in the low country. People in coastal areas taking the storm seriously after seeing what happened in Florida. We went and got some extra things like um, water, bread. Grocery stores are selling out of everything really quick. After blasting the beach towns of the southwest, Ian dumped rain for hours over central Florida. Firefighters evacuated an Orlando nursing home Thursday after floodwaters rushed in. The first daylight Thursday gave state officials a true scope of the destruction. Some of the damage was, um, you know, almost indescribable. In Placida, storm chasers captured the destruction wrought by Ian's eyewall. In Fort Myers and Naples, entire neighborhoods were wiped out by storm surge and 150 mile per hour winds. Rescue teams went into the water to save people left stranded. Our staff, police, fire, public works, parks got out there and made uh, close to about 200 water rescues. Sanibel Island now accessible only by boat or helicopter after the only bridge washed out. The search and rescue teams are on the island going door to those areas that they can get to right now trying to help those individuals. It's a race against time to save lives. 
And one real estate data analytics firm estimates that Ian could cost the state of Florida $47 billion. That would make it the most expensive storm to hit Florida since Hurricane Andrew back in 1992, Frank. Certainly our thoughts with the people there. Uh, You've been there for a few days there in Florida. What have you seen on the ground as the storm has moved through and now you're watching the aftermath? Yeah, it's unbelievable, Frank. You know, especially here in Naples, one of the hardest hit areas all the way up through Fort Myers. You know, you come down a street like this where there's a boat in a yard. A lot of the houses don't have power. There's very obvious damage. Almost looks like they've been through a tornado. And then you go a couple streets over and the lights are on and everything looks just fine. It's really the, you know, the whims of Mother Nature of where these things go, the topography, where the storm surge came in. Uh, You know, you obviously see a ton of first responders. When I was driving down from Tampa, I was passed by at least a dozen pickup trucks pulling giant generators, caravans of electrical workers from all around the country, sheriff's offices from all around the state, all converging on this area to help out with search and rescue, crowd control, things of that nature. Yeah, certainly a very concerning situation. Uh, Tragic as well. Chris Pallone, thank you for your reporting right there on the ground. We're asking to check on this morning's other headlines. NBC's Frances Rivera. She's in New York with the very latest. Happy Friday, Frances. Good morning, Frank. We start with world leaders who are condemning Russia's plan to annex a large swath of eastern Ukraine. Vladimir Putin will formally announce the annexation of four regions of the country in a ceremony today after holding staged referendums in Russia-occupied territories last week. President Biden and other Western leaders swiftly labeled the referendums a sham. A new development in the January 6th investigation, Jenny Thomas, wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, met privately with the House Select Committee yesterday for more than four hours. The committee chairman saying during the interview, Thomas stood by her false claims the election was stolen. Thomas's lawyer said she was focused only on, quote, reports of fraud and irregularities and played no role in any events after the election results. Miami Dolphins quarterback Tua Tugovailoa was hospitalized after a scary hit on the field. Tua was stretchered off the field in the second quarter after his head slammed off the turf. He was taken to a hospital for head and neck injuries. An optimistic update from the Dolphins, who said he was expected to travel home with the team. On to the action, the Bengals wide receivers found their way past the Dolphins' defense early and often. Joe Burrow threw for two touchdowns as Cincinnati wins it 27-15. to That's all we were talking about this morning, Frank, when it comes to this game. And how did those images of his fingers, you know, when he was down and brought in the stretchers, I mean, just so imprinted yeah. uh, in our head with those images. So hopefully he, he, he rebounds and gets better. Yeah, absolutely, Francis. Francis, thank you very much. Sure. All right, still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange, a choppy session for shares of Micron following quarterly results. The gloomy outlook that sent the stock diving in early extended trading. But first, throughout Hispanic Heritage Month, CNBC is celebrating our teammates and our contributors. As we head to break, here is Agua Media Chairman Saul Trujillo. The punchline here is that the Latino cohort generates $2.7 trillion of GDP. And when we think about the significance of labor force providing 80% of net new workplace entrants, growing consumption at 2x the rate of the rest of the economy, something that any investor, any executive, any person that's thinking about the sustainability of our competitiveness in this country should be aware of, think about, invest in, and catalyze. 
Welcome back and happy Friday. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. Let's get right to the markets and your money on this Friday morning. Right now, futures in the green, as we mentioned. The Dow looks like it could open up about 175 points higher. The S&P and the Nasdaq almost three quarters of a percent higher in early trading. Something to watch. Stocks coming off a broad-based sell-off on Thursday with the S&P hitting a new low. All three major indices falling between one and a half and three percent. Investors happy to leave a very tough month. All three indices deep in the red in September. Historically, one of the worst months for stocks ahead of today's session. Look at this action right here. We're seeing the Dow down seven percent. The S&P down pretty much eight percent. The Nasdaq, the hardest hit, down more than nine percent. We're also checking the bond market right now. Yields right now, well, they're moving a little lower right now. We're seeing the 10-year note at 3.71. Still see this yield curve inversion. The two-year note still over 4. But the five-year note, that has slipped under 4%. Again, something to watch. Also watching the oil market. Crude ticking up just a bit higher on the thought and reports that OPEC Plus might do production cuts. Right now we're seeing WTI at just about 82 bucks a barrel. Brent crude ticking higher at just about 90 bucks a barrel. And in crypto, something to watch right here. Bitcoin still below that key level of 20,000, but moving higher here in the pre-market. We're seeing Bitcoin again at 19,500, basically. Ether up about a half a percent. But XRP, really the story, having a really good month, up 12% this morning. All right, let's get to some of this morning's top stories. Bertha Coombe is here now with more on those. Good morning again, Bertha. Good. Happy Friday morning to you, Frank. A bill to fund the government is one step closer to being approved with the deadline to do so just hours away. The Senate Thursday approving the short-term funding extension to prevent a shutdown set to take effect at midnight tonight. The measure now heads to the House. Lawmakers have expressed confidence that there will not be a shutdown. If the stopgap bill is approved, it would extend funding through December 16th, meaning we'll be back here again in just over two months. Shares of Micron facing whipsaw action in extended trading on the back of fourth quarter results. Earnings and revenues both missing expectations. The chipmaker also warning that first quarter results will be below analyst expectations as well, saying that it is taking steps to emerge from, quote, an unprecedented market down cycle by scaling back on plans to build out capacity. Apple facing a C-suite shakeup. Meantime, the company confirming to CNBC that its vice president of procurement, Tony Blevins, has left the company. His exit coming after a TikTok video surfaced. The clip, which has been reviewed by CNBC, shows him getting out of a vehicle at a high-end car show and making vulgar comments about women. And new details emerging about Elon Musk's ties to Twitter amid the ongoing legal wrangling between both sides. A new court filing revealing that before the current issues, ex-CEO Jack Dorsey sent Musk a text in late March that he wanted the Tesla CEO on the board of the social media company, but felt the rest of its members were too quote, risk-averse. Dorsey said he thought the board's approach was, quote, completely stupid and backwards, but added his power was limited because he only had one vote and a limited stake in Twitter. All this coming as Musk and Twitter prepare to go to court next month over his failed bid to take over the company. Of course, we'll see Elon Musk today, Frank, as Tesla holds its AI day. Yeah, it seems like Elon Musk always finds a way to keep himself in the news. Bertha, thanks again for those headlines. <laughs> All right, UK Prime Minister Liz Truss, she's expected to hold an emergency meeting with the head of Britain's monetary watchdog today 
after failing to calm the panic over the future of that company's uh, country's economy. Earlier this week, the Bank of England announced plans to suspend the start of its guilt selling and begin temporarily buying long-dated bonds, this all in an effort to calm the market turmoil unleashed by the government's new mini-budget. Let's talk more about what this means for the future of the U.K. and the greater global economy with Martin Wheel, a former member of Bank of England's Monetary Policy Committee. He's currently a professor of economics at King's College London. Good morning, Martin. Hello. So let's just jump right into it. First, uh, over in England, they're raising rates now. They're buying long-dated bonds. It seems like a bit of a reversal. Is the U.K. simply behind the curve? No, I don't think it's the U.K. is behind the curve. I think what happened was that the chaos generated in bond markets in particular as a result of the <clears throat> budget last week, the mini-budget last week, that meant that uh, pension funds were facing liquidity problems and the Bank of England has had to make essentially emergency provisions for liquidity. Now, of course, that goes against what it had planned just the day before the mini-budget, which was to, you know, like the Federal Reserve Board, to, to open a policy of quantitative tightening. So we have some breaking news, actually, this morning. Uh, Eurozone inflation hits a record of 10 percent for September. How do you see that impacting the Bank of England's plans and also the central banks throughout Europe? Well, the... Bank of England is, of course, mainly concerned about inflation in Britain rather than inflation in the euro area. But uh, the European Central Bank will be extremely concerned by 10% inflation. And uh, like the Bank of England saying, it will say that its focus is bringing inflation down, returning it to the target of 2%. So you mentioned the UK is mostly focused on the UK and not as concerned about the eurozone. But is the opposite true? Is the eurozone, eurozone concern and the central bankers there concerned about what's going on in the UK and this you know, reversal of plans? Well, I think what worries other countries about what's going on in the UK is that at least immediately after the budget, there was some evidence that uh, you know, the concerns about the UK were depressing bond markets, not only in the UK, but elsewhere as well. So there was some spillover. I mean, possibly that's a bit calmer now. As your chart is showing, interest rates in France and Germany are much lower than those in the UK. No, Italy is still a bit higher. But uh, of course, for the UK to be keeping company with Italy isn't a terribly good advertisement for the UK's economic management. All right. Speaking of the UK's economic management, Liz Truss coming out saying she doesn't plan to reverse those tax cuts. What's the path forward for the UK to stabilize the economy, to deal with the energy crisis, just to deal with all the chaos there in your mind? Well, the the big problem that Liz Truss faces is that there are three ways in which the budget you know, could be put on a convincing basis. In other words, persuading people that the national debt relative to GDP is going to fall rather than rise. So one of them is to reverse the budget measures. The second is to make cuts in public spending. And the third is for the economy to grow at the 2.5% year two and a half percent a year that Kwarteng and Trust want. Now, <clears throat> the trouble with the last solution is that while they may believe that their policies will deliver growth of two and a half percent a year, I don't think anyone else will. And in particular, I'd be extremely surprised, to say the least, if the Office for Budget Responsibility, the fiscal watchdog, was prepared to use a growth rate 
of 2.5% a year. So that leaves us either unwinding the fiscal measures that were announced last Friday, which, uh, of course, is extremely difficult for politicians who want to sound determined and try a new approach, or it leaves the government having to impose substantial spending cuts. And you can be quite confident that that's not going to be popular with voters. And it's not going to be popular with voters at a time when the Labour Party has now got a vast 33-point lead in the opinion polls. And we have seen a slightly calmer situation recently. And my view is that Labour's lead is probably one of the factors calming the situation. People can see that there are going to be political constraints on what the Prime Minister and the Chancellor of the Exchequer actually do. So you mentioned the, the political aspect of all this and that politicians there want to stay resolute. But as a former Bank of England member, what would you suggest? What is the correct path forward to fix some of this chaos and, of course, deal with the, you know, the human issue of the energy crisis? Well, as I say, I mean, I don't think it's the support that the government is providing you know, in the short term to deal with the energy crisis, which is seen as the problem by markets. It was that the government was making permanent or what are presented as permanent tax cuts with no sense of how the budgetary consequences were going to be addressed. So, as I was explaining, that leaves two solutions. One is to cut spending, which will go down like a lead balloon with voters, or the other is to reverse the tax cuts. Now, what I suppose we're likely to see is some combination of the two, but of course, there have been a lot of cuts in government spending over the last 10 years, and Liz Trust wants to increase, for very good reasons, Britain's spending on defence over the next few years so that we're in a better position to deal with the threats to security that Russia poses. All right, we'll have to look for some type of compromise going forward. Former Bank of England member Martin Will, we really appreciate your insight and you being here this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Coming up on Worldwide Exchange, your morning's big money mover. And shares of Nike diving on the back of quarterly results. Retail guru Stacey Whitlitz digs into the numbers and the signals they may be sending about the retail sector as a whole. But first, as we had to break, more of your morning's top stories. Disney has named Elisa Bowen president of Disney+. Plus. She is expected to lead the launch of the streaming services ad-supported tier, as well as promotion of Disney+, Plus and its content lineup. Disney+, Plus with ads, launches on December 8th in the U.S. for basically 8 bucks a month. NASA and SpaceX plan to fund a study to examine ways to extend the life of the Hubble telescope. This potentially includes using SpaceX's Dragon capsule to raise Hubble's orbital altitude. The telescope has delivered dramatic images from space since its launch in 1990, including the moons of Pluto and enabled important discoveries such as the age of the universe. And in entertainment, Trevor Noah says he's leaving The Daily Show after seven years. Noah making the announcement at the end of the taping of last night's show, thanking the audience for their support. He did not give a specific departure date and says they'll continue hosting, at least for the time being. Noah took over the show from Comedy Central, uh, on Comedy Central from Late Night Show uh, from Jon Stewart in 2015. Big fan of both of them. Worldwide Exchange, back in a moment. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Nike shares are plunging in the pre-market. You see down more than 9% after the company expressed issues with overstocked inventory levels in yesterday's first quarter earnings call. The retail giant beat revenue estimates, but noted the supply chain issues earlier in the year now have led to swelling inventories. Nike CFO telling investors that the company, quote, faces a new degree of complexity. 
For more on Nike and the overall state of retail, let's bring in Stacey Whitlitz, president of Us SW Retail Advisors. Good morning, Stacey. Morning, Frank. So we were messaging earlier today. You basically said, you know, earnings, revenue, great. But the real number to pay attention to is the inventory number plus uh, 65 percent, 65 percent higher in North America. What does that mean for Nike going forward? Well, Frank, that's the number to really focus on. They said September trends were a bit better, right, which is encouraging news. But the stock is down almost 10 percent. And the number we really care about is inventories. As you said, inventories in North America are up 65 percent. That's that is 50 percent higher growth in inventories than sales. So what does that mean? That means we're going into another period of severe markdowns. And they were very clear of that the current quarter we're in is going to be hit hard by markdowns. And what happened is there was a lot of products that came in late last quarter. And there was a lot of products that came in early for holiday, as you know, many brands didn't know about the timing with supply chain issues. So now they got to get rid of this stuff. And it's really, really focused in apparel rather than footwear. So that's going to be painful to clear. Yeah, you know, you hit on something that might impact a lot of retailers. According to the Port of L.A., Long Beach and Bank of America data, about 70 percent of the things for the holidays were brought in at the beginning of September, a lot earlier than normal. So that increases holding costs and creates a lot of issues, um, not only for Nike, but broader retail. So what does that mean for this holiday season coming up? Are we going to see bigger and deeper deals than we've seen in the past couple of years? Absolutely, Frank. We're, we're back to 2019, basically, in terms of promotions. And, and as you said, Everybody with the supply chain delays decided to get ready early for holiday, just at a time when demand fell off a cliff and also at a time when inflation spiked even more. So now the consumer is pulling back. That's pretty clear. And all of a sudden, now we have this over inventory situation, which is completely the opposite of last year. So you're seeing it in apparel. You're seeing it in home. You're seeing it across the board. And, you know, certainly Amazon has added a second uh, Prime Day this year to try to help demand and get it moving and sell some advertising dollars. So you're going to see everybody rally around that event and push promotions even earlier this year and even harder as everybody's worried about having this lot of inventory. So, so good took, deal for the consumer. You took the words out of my mouth on this one, Stacey. As you mentioned, uh, Amazon having a fall Prime Day, as a lot of people are calling it. Walmart and Target announced that they're going to have earlier deals than normal, at least, you know, before they did uh, before they before they would have before the pandemic. Um, is that the cure for all this? Are consumers with inflation and everything else going on? Are we all eager to get out there and buy some things early or is this going to maybe falter a bit? And are they going to be stuck with this inventory? I think what will drive the consumer out early is the bigger, better deals, right? So we've had events um, in, in the years where things were full price in the last few years where we didn't have enough inventory and consumers came out, but went mm, not, not enough of a deal for me. So now I think if we get those big percentage off in October early, people will shop earlier, they'll rally around that. But for retailers and brands, it means, you know, margins are going to look pretty ugly into holiday this year, because really, if you slash prices at the beginning, where do you go from there? Yeah, a lot of questions. I think a lot of us are looking for deals. But if you're holding a retail stock, you've got to be pretty worried about what's coming up. No Stacey, deal there. <laughs> Stacey Whitlitz, we always have, appreciate having you on. Have a great morning. Good to see you. All right. On deck here on Worldwide Exchange, stocks looking to wrap up what's been really a September to forget. Lizzie Evans lays out the trading day ahead and whether October may usher in a better market performance. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, and other podcast apps and Worldwide Exchange. We'll be right back.
All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It is another busy day ahead as we close out the month and the quarter. August personal income and spending out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern. This report includes one of the Fed's favorite gauges on inflation, the core PCE, or Personal Consumption Expenditures Index. At 9.45 a.m., look for the September Chicago PMI, followed by the final read on the consumer with consumer sentiment for the month at 10 a.m. Several Fed officials are speaking today, including Fed Vice Chair Lael Brainerd and New York Fed President John Williams at a conference on financial stability. All right, we wrap up the final trading day of September today, and most investors will likely be happy to put this month behind them. September living up to its reputation as one of the worst performing months, the Dow falling more than 7%, the S&P down 8%, the Nasdaq the hardest hit, tumbling more than 9%. And bond yields and the dollar, they've both risen sharply. Let's bring in Lizzie Evans, managing partner at Evans May Wealth. Good morning, Lizzie. Great to have you here. Good morning, Frank. So, Lizzie, we just kind of laid it out. The S&P in particular down about 8% for the month. Where do you see it going for here? Where is your support level for the S&P? Because a lot of people do believe we're going to see more downside coming up. Thanks, Frank. Yeah, it's been, um, as you mentioned, a brutal month in the markets. Um, Unfortunately, I think in the short term that we're going to see further downside. So we're looking at 3,500 and then the market breaks through that. The next level we're looking at is 3,200. So what you're describing is, uh, is us basically giving up all the stimulus-related gains that we saw during the pandemic. What does that mean? Is that a situation where you would advise your clients to buy the dip, or is it a wait-and-see thing here? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, if you look at where the 10-year Treasury is, we're at 3.7%. We saw 4% this week. I think it's very reasonable to assume we'll see 4% again. So if you look at the last time the 10-year Treasury was at 4%, that was in 2010. Um, and, and as you mentioned, then at that point in time, the market was trading at a 16 times multiple. So if you look at the lowest consensus estimate on the S&P 500 for next year at 200 bucks a share, you apply that 16 times multiple. And that's where we're at 3,200, which, you know, 3,500 is 5% down from where we are today. 3,200 is 13% down from where we are today. So, you know, what are we saying to clients? We're telling clients that, it's important to be patient, be confident, look for value in different asset classes, different styles of investment, and, and hang in there because I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. But we still are in a secular bull market. So, you know, secular bull markets last 15 to 20 years. This one started in 2013. So I think it's important to take that long term approach. But I think there's further downside from here. Yeah, of course, we all want to take a long-term approach when it comes to our money. But in the near term, a lot of people are seeing a lot of pain. Are there any companies that you're looking at right now where investors can find opportunity today? I think, you know, if you look at energy, I still believe energy is the cheapest sector in the S&P 500, even though it's up 40 percent year to date. Um, we're down 22 percent since June. So we like the big integrateds. Take a look at Chevron. Chevron has a dividend yield of almost 4 percent. They're growing their dividend at 6% a year. They've got a super strong balance sheet coming out of COVID. They've got great margins, especially in their refinery business, which I I expect to continue given the structural imbalances where we have in equities. I'm sorry, in energy. So um, I think that that's a good company to look at. Uh, But again, I think you have to be super selective and you have to be defensive in this market. Yeah, of course, you definitely have to be selective. But I want to ask you, and I've been asking a lot of people this question. When you're looking at companies that can ride out this whole situation and this sell-off, 
What are you looking at? You just mentioned dividend investing just a minute ago and the dividend for one stock. Other people are looking at free cash flow or margins. What's your big focus when you're looking at the quote unquote quality of a company that makes it investable right now? Yeah, it's a great it's a great question. So as we what is quality? So to us that, you know, we're very focused on strong cash flow, free cash flow, um, looking at the balance sheets of companies. But just much like we did in 2020, if you are in a period of prolonged economic slowdown, you look at the debt load of that company, you look at their free cash flow, can they sustain a period of prolonged economic slowdown? That's what we're looking at as, as it relates to quality. All right. One last question before we let you go, Lizzie. Um, obviously, you know, during the pandemic, a lot of individual retail investors jumped into the market. As we just said, they're probably facing losing a lot of the gains they made during the pandemic. What advice would you give to them? There's nothing fun about a bear market. Um, you know, a bear market's much like riding a bull. Um, the ride is not fun, but you need to be patient. You need to be smart and you need to be confident. So I think, you know, now is the time um, for those investors that did jump in in 2020 to look, you know, if, if there's opportunities to rebalance their portfolio into higher quality, take opportunities with tax loss harvesting. We're looking at a lot, a lot of Roth IRA conversions. So there's strategic changes that can be made as a result of the market. But I think that they need to take that long term approach, know what they own, know why they own it. Wow, what a turnaround. We're talking about tax loss harvesting. I remember this time last year, we were just talking about booms in the market. Lizzie Evans, we really appreciate you being here and for all your insight. Thanks. Thank you, Frank. All right, before we let you go, one last check of the markets right now. The futures off their highs of this morning. Right now, the Dow looks like it could open up about 100 to maybe 150 points higher. The S&P and NASDAQ futures both about a per, half of a percent higher right now. All right, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box takes it from here. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.